0: Touching Your Heart, weeknights at 10 p.m. right here on WAVA. The following program is sponsored by Kettering Baptist Church.
1: Welcome to the radio broadcast ministry of Kettering Baptist Church, where we minister in the spirit of excellence under the leadership of our anointed senior pastor, Pukus Sterling III. Please stay tuned at the end of this broadcast for information on how to obtain a copy of today's message in its entirety. And now, Pastor Sterling.
2: Kettering, this morning I want to invite your attention to Second Samuel chapter 11. We'll begin our reading at verse number 1, and once you have found it, if you would say amen. Word of the Lord reads as follows. It happened in the spring of the year, at the time when the kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah but David remained at Jerusalem then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house and from the roof he saw a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful to behold so David sent and inquired about the woman and someone said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Ilium, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? David sent messengers and took her and she came to him and he lay with her for she was cleansed, cleansed rather, from her impurity. And she returned to her house. And the woman conceived, and so she sent message and told David, and said, I am with child. Then David sent Joab, saying, send me Uriah the Hittite, and Joab sent Uriah to David. This morning, I want to conclude our seven-sermon series summarizing the life of David. We began this journey with the selection of David, with the sub-idea, he sees the best in you. In part two, we look at the psalmist David and we saw a sub-idea there, your gift will make room for you. Part three was the slingshot of David with the sub-idea slaying giant enemies. Part four, the soul knitting together with David, the sub-idea having a covenant companion. Part five was the surrender of the kingdom to David with the sub-idea in due season, it will come to pass. On last week, as we looked at part six, we spoke from the subject matter, the singing and dancing of David with the sub-idea, it's dancing time. This morning in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and into 12, I want to speak to you from the subject matter, the sin of David. As a sub-idea, I'd like to use the idea, this could happen to you. Many would approach this particular passage with some trepidation and and some backward peddance, as well as uh, with a spirit of condemnation. They would say to David, David, how dare you? being an anointed man of God, the chosen of God, the one whom God has removed another king to put to allow you to put in his place. How dare you David, after God has sustained you through all your wanderings and through all of your your persecutions and and how God has kept you from lions and bears and Saul's chasings. How dare you after God has done all that for you, surrendered the kingdom into your hand and allowed you to sit on Saul's throne and to reign as king over all Israel, how dare you, David, one whom God has entrusted so much into his care, how dare you, David, being one who God allowed even the the Ark of the Covenant to be brought back into Jerusalem and to be put in the place that was close by you, how dare you after all of that, how dare you go off and do something like this? What I figured out, as long as we're in this fleshly body, we got some temptations. We've got some struggles. We've, we've got the propensity to do wrong. And, and what I want you to understand, that, that even whether you're young or whether you're old, even this sin might be the one that catches you too. One of the problems, I think, with a whole lot of us is we don't think it can happen to us. And when, can I help you right about here? When you say it won't happen to me, you're setting yourself up to be the one that it will happen to. Because you think in your own strength, you're so high and holy above all this. But if David, if it can happen to him, it can happen to you. In fact, as I thought my way through this text, I thought, you know, for some people, it already has happened to them. For others, it's happening to them right now. And for others, maybe it will happen to you in the future. But nevertheless, as I look at verse number one and two. It says it happened in the spring of the year, the time when the kings had gone out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. And David remained at Jerusalem. And it happened in the evening. He arose from his bed, walked on the roof of the house. And from there, he saw a woman bathing. And and that just kind of let me know that it was an issue of curiosity that started the ball rolling and First of all, point I want to look at is the curiosity of sin, because curiosity only needs the right soil and circumstance to conceive sin. Verse one says David stayed home. Okay, a lot of folk want to beat David up. He should have been out there fighting. He should have been at battle. He should have been in the king's place. Well, before you get too hard on David about that, uh, first of all, I need to understand is it was not uncommon for a king to stay home from battle, especially when the battle that they were fighting was not of a severe nature. The battle that Israel was fighting at this particular time is is a small uh, nation. It's not a big deal. And so it really wasn't a big deal that David stayed home, but he did stay home. That's part of the recipe of the circumstances that allows and provides the soil for this sin to take place. He stayed home. Secondly, all the other soldiers, including Uriah, was sent off to war. It says it was the spring of the year time, and David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they went off to war. Everybody's gone out of town. Look at verse number two. And David remains home. There's another part of it. David's at home. Everybody else is gone. It's, you know, the spring of the year. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and he walked out. David is at home. David is asleep. David has been sleeping into the evening and David wakes up after a long sleep. Trying to paint a picture here. If you can think with me, the condition of a man who's just getting out of bed and he's waking up. (sighs) And the first thing he does is go to the rooftop. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. It's starting to get hot. Soil getting richer. But let me, let me make their soul even more rich. I'm not going to make it that way, but the text makes it that way. It wasn't just any woman. The Bible says she was very beautiful. Things are getting hotter. David is looking and curiosity is getting the best of him and David sees this beautiful naked woman bathing from his rooftop and the soldiers are gone and Joab is gone and Uriah is gone and the woman is looking good as he looks over there and everything is lining up and to top all of that off David is the king and he has authority to sinful folk do y'all see that? then Look at verse number three. Curiosity asks questions of availability. So David sent and inquired about the woman, and someone said, "Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite?" Curiosity not only only needs the right soil and the right circumstance, but curiosity begins to ask questions of availability. Whose woman is that? Whose wife is that? Who's going to be home when you get home this evening? How long did you say your husband was going to be out of town? Curiosity wants to know, can we move this thing a little further? Questions of availability begin to rise. They ask, is it available for our uh, curiosity to move forward? And curiosity goes one step further. Verse number four says, then David sent messengers to find out what's up. Curiosity began to ask question, whose wife is this? And now watch this. Here, here's what I want to point out. Somebody, the text doesn't say who, somebody said, That's Uriah's wife. That was his escape right there. Y'all know the Bible says with every temptation that God will send a way of escape. When he heard that it was somebody's wife, he should have just turned around and went on back downstairs and ate his Wheaties. That was his way of escape. But curiosity pushes the envelope. It presses you because it wants to conquer. It says to you, I need that. I like that. I want that. I need to have that. It provokes you to your conquering stage. And when you see something, you say, you know what? I think I could take that. Curiosity provokes you to conquering. and, And the Bible says here that when the curiosity pushed him to the place of conquering in verse number four, it says he sent messengers and he took her. he was the king he could do stuff like that he took her that he might conquer her and he lay with her but watch this curiosity will conceive sin and as you look there in verse number five it says then the woman conceived and so she sent and told David and says hey I'm with y'all can I help y'all with something sin is never going to show you the end of the road It's not going to show you the conception of a child. It's only going to point you to the fun of the moment. And that's why a lot of people get caught up in the fun of the moment, but not understanding there's an end of the road that sin is taking you on. Proverbs says, it starts off sweet to the tongue, but when it gets to the belly, it's like wormwood. It's nasty. It's terrible. It's going to take you down. It's like, and then eventually you're going to get shot in the liver with an arrow and take you down because the wages of sin is death and sin. Sin doesn't want you to know that's where I'm taking you. It just wants you to think you're having fun. Yes, because I'm, 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 you're curious. You're curious, and A lot of curiosity killing the cat. Next, I want to I look at the cover-up of sin because right after sin is conceived and right after sin takes place, the natural human response of man is cover-up. To take you all the way back to the garden, when Adam and Eve was in the garden, uh, immediately when they sinned, you know what they did? They began to sew fig leaves together to cover themselves up. And when God came looking for them in the cool of the day, the Bible says they hid from God in his garden. Here they are trying to cover up their sin and then trying to hide from God who made the garden, who is over the garden, who is omnipresent through the garden. They're trying to hide from him in the garden. And guess what? That whole behavior of man has not stopped since then. Cover up is still the natural response that we have to sin. The reason why that happens is because innocence equals transparency. But when you're not innocent, you will cover up. The reason why you don't leave your cell phone out is because you're not innocent. The reason why you got to keep it on you and under your pillow and and beside you all the time perhaps is because you're not innocent. The reason why your wife, your husband doesn't have your emails, addresses and the codes to get in them and the passwords to move through them. I'm not talking about just the one you want them to see. I'm talking about all of them is because perhaps you're not innocent because innocence equals transparency. (sighs) Cover up, cover up, cover up. And look at verse number six. verse number six is when David begins to do his cover up. David sent Joab saying, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. He, He says, look, I need to do something because cover up not only is man's natural response to sin, but cover up comes with persuasion. And so what David does, first of all, is he grants Uriah a sabbatical from war. Now, Uriah's supposed to be at war with everybody else, but David sends him a pass and says, you tell Uriah he can come home. He can he come home for us a battle. I'm going to give him a break. Now, that's kind of persuasive, isn't it? When you're at war fighting and, and dealing with all that and folk dying all around you and worrying about your life, and then you get a pass from the king that says you can come home. Oh, my God, that's pretty persuasive. Then he sends Uriah home with some food from the king's house. It's in the Bible. It's right here. David sent Joab saying, send me Uriah, verse number seven. And Uriah came to him and David asked him how everything was going and all that. And then David said to Uriah, go down to your house, verse number eight, and wash your feet. So Uriah departed from the king's house and a gift of food from the king followed him. Look at that. He's trying to be persuasive. He's trying to encourage him so he can cover up. Now I need to get Uriah home. He needs to get Uriah home so Uriah can go home and sleep with his wife. So it doesn't look like that the child really was mine. I don't want this to come out. So I need to cover it up. And so. The cover-up is going to continue to grow in intensity because what the cover-up is going to happen, Uriah is not going to go down to his house. Uriah is such an upright man that he leaves the war and and he has a a granted immunity from wartime. He's got a sabbatical pass from the king from war and, 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 and some food from the king's house and the permission of the king to go down to his house, take your shoes off, man, lay back, kick back, and enjoy your home, but Uriah won't do it. The Bible says Uriah went and slept on the outside on the porch. And so then David has to turn it up a little more, turn it up a little more. So as you get, you get further along, what happens is what David is going to do. Uh, after he didn't go for the first trap, verse 13 says, Now David called him, and he ate, and he drank before him, and he made him drunk. And at the evening he went out, and he lay on his bed with the servants and his lord, but he did not go down to his house. Uriah, good dude. King said, you can go home. Uriah won't do it. I believe God is working in this because I just believe that any normal natural man ain't going to be sleeping outside. And he got a beautiful woman that's his own at home. I just believe God was intervening. The Holy Ghost was stopping him from going home, but he didn't go home. And it's messing up the plan. It's messing up the cover-up that David has. And so David has to take the heat up a little more. And so what David does, he writes a letter and he gives it to Uriah and said, take this to Joab. And so the letter tells Joab that when the battle gets hot, put Uriah up front and have everybody else pull back so that Uriah can get killed. He's turning up the heat. Now he's going to kill a man just to cover up his... Go to extremes to cover up sin... When all we really need to do is confess it. To cover it up even farther, he marries Bathsheba. To make it look like, oh yeah, we was already together. And then she just happened to get pregnant. Cover up, cover up, cover up, cover up. But watch this. The next thing I want to look at is the consequences of sin. And there are many. Sin does have consequences. Y'all do know that, right? Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is what? Death. So y'all know sin does have consequences. But here's some good news for you. And I think I'll drop this in your hat. Guess what? God does not sin... Allow you to experience the consequences of every sin. Y'all didn't even get it. You know how I know you didn't get it? Because you should have jumped up, shouted, ran around the church and said, thank you. That God that you do not do not cause me to experience the consequences of every sin I commit. You should be thanking God for that. That's called grace. God extends grace and mercy. He holds back what we do deserve. We deserve death as a result of our sin, but he holds it back. And and guess what? And in many cases, a whole lot of us could probably testify, you done done some things, I done done some things that, it, that it, we never really paid the consequences for. Praise his holy name. And so watch this. There's some consequences for sin. And I'm going to list the whole, a whole group of them for you. Chapter 11, verse number 17. It says, um, after David has sent the message and, and, and Joab is going to do what David told him to do. It says, then the men of the city, verse number 17, came out and they fought with Joab. And some of the people of the servants of David fell and Uriah the Hittite died also. First thing I want you to see as it relates to the consequences of sin is collateral damage. The the idea in the cover-up was just to kill Uriah, but now not only is Uriah dead, but there's a whole lot of other folk that are injured and dead because of David's sin in the first place. Can I help you right here? Your sin does not just affect you. Your, Your sin has collateral damage. There's other folk that are going to be affected by your sin. There's some children that might be affected. There's some husbands and wives that might be affected. There's some communities that might be affected. There's some church people that might be affected because of your sin. Because of your behavior, there is collateral damage to your sin. Another consequence of sin is the confrontation. You're going to have to be confronted by someone for the sin that you've committed. It's either going to be by somebody God sends or God himself. And God sends Nathan there to deal with David. And he's going to tell him a story about a a rich man who has multiple sheep and lambs and everything. And then there's another poor man that just has one poor little ewe lamb. And the story that that, that Nathan gives David, he says, and then this, this rich man just took the the poor man stuff and you know just just roughed it from him and just abused the dude, and then david gets angry but david hears that somebody else is doing he wants to have that man killed it's right here in the bible y'all don't believe me look at verse number five it says so david's anger was greatly aroused and again against the man and he said to nathan as the lord lives listen to him getting spiritual on the thing the man who has done this thing he shall surely die Well, you're being contradictory, David, because you just got through doing the same thing. But here we are. This is you and me. Because when we see other folk do things, oh, my God, I can't believe they did that. We're quick to point the finger and condemn someone else and say how wrong they are. But I need to warn you of something. While you're pointing the finger at someone else, there's three fingers pointing back at you. You're guilty of the same things. And so David is, he's angry. And he has this contradictory behavior because he's done the same things that he's ready to kill somebody else for. Watch out for that. That's a consequence. Not only is there collateral damage and confrontation and contradictory behavior, but there's condemnation. Look at verse 7. Nathan says to David, you are the man. You are guilty. You are the man. You are guilty of this thing. Condemnation. And then comes conviction. David begins convicted about his sin. God says to David. You know, David. I've given you everything. God, I blessed you with this. I gave you. Um, I gave you Saul's seat. I, I. I. I brought you through all this trouble, and and I helped you, and I blessed you, and I set you up over all Israel. And and you've done this thing, David. And then finally, as we get um, somewhere around chapter twelve, uh, verse fourteen or so, um, thirteen or so, David says, "I'm sorry. I, I've sinned." Verse thirteen, David said to Nathan, "I have sinned against the Lord." He's convicted. But then the next thing is calamity that comes from within you. It's going to come from within your house. Verse number 11, it says, thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbors. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. Sometimes the issues of sin create calamity and chaos in your own household. Just one of the consequences. Then there's a the confiscation of that which is valuable to you god says i'm going to take 'm going to take your wives and i'm going to give them to your neighbor i'm going to I'm, I'm going to raise up this calamity and i 'm going to take what's valuable to you i'm going to take everything away from you and you're going to start losing that which is valuable to you for some people it's a home for others it's their financial stability for for some it might be i'm going to take the things that that security that you had i'm taking it from you because of your sin sin has consequences verse fourteen says However, because, this, because by this deed, you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. So the next thing is the chance given to the enemy to blaspheme God. As a result of the sin that David commits, it gives opportunity. It gives a chance for all the enemies of God to say, ha, ha, look at God. This is supposed to be a man of God. How, how can he do such a thing? He gives chance to the enemy to say, your God is not all that. Ain't, I don't really want your God. He's, he's not, he can't keep you from sin. I mean, come on. I thought you, you served the awesome God and the mighty God and your God allows you to do that. Your sin, David's sin allows and gives chance for the enemy to blaspheme God. And then lastly, there is the child's death. After all this takes place, the child which is conceived is going to die. David pleads for the child. He begs for the child. He prays for the child. He fasts for the child. But ultimately, the child still dies. And in verse 18, you'll see the death of the child. The The child dies. On the seventh day, it came to pass that the child died. That which was obtained through sin will not last. But can I help us right about here? Because I'm a firm believer that if David had only waited on God, God would have given him Bathsheba anyway. Pastor, where do you get that from? Well, because what God ultimately does is is he's going to give Bathsheba a son whose name is Solomon, who's going to reign in David's place. He's going to be the smartest man that ever lives. And through him is going to come the Messiah. So it had to be already in the plan and in the purpose and the will of God that he was going to give it to her. But he got ahead of God and tried to take what was not His. If he had only waited on God, you don't need to, you don't need to get ahead of God with sin. Now, if I leave you there, this would be a bad place for all of us to leave. And, and we would kind of go out kind of miserable and, sad and say, Oh my God, we're just, well, here's good news. There is comfort from sin. God does forgive sin. He did what no one else could do. He shed his righteous and precious blood. He allowed the Jews to nail him to a rugged cross. He stayed on the cross. He bled righteous blood. He, forget, he took on your sin and my sin. And then he buried it in a tomb. And on the third day, he got up with all power in his hand so that he alone could forgive us of sin. He does forgive sin. Praise the name of the Lord. And guess what? It doesn't matter what sin you've committed or how long you've been committed. He, he's able to forgive you of sin.
1: Praise the Lord. You've been listening to the radio broadcast ministry of Kettering Baptist Church under the leadership of Senior Pastor Buchis Sterling III, where we minister in the spirit of excellence. We pray that you have been richly blessed by today's message. Financial contributions in support of this ministry are welcome. We thank you in advance for uniting with us in kingdom building. For additional information, go to our website at KetteringMinistries.org or contact our church office at 301-574-3515. Please join us again as Senior Pastor Buca Sterling III and the Kettering Baptist Church family minister in the spirit of equity.